Welcome to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Runge, co-founder and CEO at Astropad, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes at our company where we build software and hardware products for creative people. So if you're a creator interested in starting a business or creating your next big project, join us and let's learn together. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt here with Savannah, who heads up our marketing. Hey, everyone. And so today we're going to talk about our last Kickstarter campaign. So we had a Kickstarter campaign about two years ago, and we raised close to $650,000 just on Kickstarter alone with about another $100,000 on BackerKit after in, in pre-orders, giving us a total of about $750,000 we, we raised around our Kickstarter. And so we wanted to talk about that and talk about what goes into launching a Kickstarter and the steps that went up leading into that. So to jump back and set the context for what was going on at the time, we were looking to launch our first ever hardware product. And so at the time, we were just purely a software company. And we had a product, Astropad, Astropad Studio and Astropad Standard. And we found that in order to bring Astropad really to the next level, to be able to support this feature that a lot of people wanted, which was using the iPad as a second display, we needed to build hardware to do it, to really deliver the experience we wanted. And so we went down that path and explored building hardware and saw Kickstarter as a great opportunity to test the market before we really committed to manufacturing it. And I we should have a whole another episode just talking about the process of building the prototype leading up to it because there's a whole lot of information and twists and turns there as well. But in terms of the Kickstarter, we really wanted to go to Kickstarter to make sure that this was something that people really wanted before we went out and manufactured it. We had built prototypes but before we ordered components or even the number of components. We wanted to make sure that this was something that other people really did want as well. So what were some of the other reasons you think, Savannah, that we we decided at the time to go with a Kickstarter? Mm -hmm. Well, since we're a bootstrapped company, I think that's the main reason. Like we really needed to test the market before we started mass producing this. And so Kickstarter was a good way to do it. We could we had no idea what the demand was going to be for this hardware product. And Kickstarter seemed like a safe bet to test that where, you know, we would only end up manufacturing however many Kickstarter orders we had. So yeah, even though we had a good feeling that this was going to go well because we had had, you know, requests from our existing customers for this, we wanted to really make sure before we set up a whole manufacturing facility and distribution center and everything in order to support a hardware product because you know, we had only ever done software before that point. So this was this was a, a new step for us. And and especially moving to hardware, you know, there there were a lot of a lot of things to figure out that go beyond just dealing with the app store that we had done with previously. So Kickstarter was a good way to just test the waters and yeah, before we went all in. Yeah, so we were pretty much like a classic Kickstarter project in that regard. We had a prototype and we didn't really have the cash to scale it up for manufacturing. We had to do things like get plastic molds and order components, all the things you read about typically with hardware hardware startups that are doing a Kickstarter. 
that are very expensive. I mean, plastic molds can cost tens of thousands of dollars just for just for a single mold potentially. And so before we we spent all that money, we wanted to make sure there was demand. And this was a great way too to get press for our company, to really tap into a new customer segment, the people that are on Kickstarter. Yeah, Kickstarter is a really powerful machine for press and getting the word out there and building a lot of momentum for your company, something that is harder to do if you just launch a product on your own website. I mean, technically you could do that. You could launch a product on your website and and pre-sell it, but it doesn't have that same reputation and community that Kickstarter does. Kickstarter has a huge community of early adopters that are willing to take a bet on your company and and support a potentially really cool new piece of technology. And, and so that's why we chose to go to Kickstarter. And we kind of debated a bit before we launched about going through Kickstarter or Indiegogo as a crowdfunding platform. But we ultimately chose Kickstarter probably mostly for the reputation at the time. It was just, in my mind, a little bit more well-known for crowdfunding. But I've heard really great things about Indiegogo too. And I don't think, I mean, you could necessarily go wrong with going through either platform. But for our second Kickstarter that we're planning to launch in a few months, we're we're sticking with Kickstarter again purely because we're familiar with it and we just don't want to switch to a new platform. But Matt, in your mind, are there any other reasons why Kickstarter kind of beat out Indiegogo for you? Yeah, I was I was going to add that really that brand recognition too, that like you could say, oh, we're doing a Kickstarter and it's more likely that someone was going to know what you're talking about than saying like, hey, I have a campaign on Indiegogo. It's just Indiegogo just still isn't as widely known now or two years ago as as Kickstarter. And Kickstarter community is also bigger. There's more registered users on Kickstarter. And if I remember, there's quite a lot more users on Kickstarter than Indiegogo. I don't know the exact numbers right now, but it, it was pretty significant. So, you know, Indiegogo does offer some options that Kickstarter doesn't. I remember a big one is they had much better tracking, much better ability to do advertising and actually track it all the way through your campaign that you really can't do with Kickstarter. So there there are definitely, you know, advantages to Indiegogo as well, but for our purposes, we really wanted that that name recognition and the large community of Kickstarter. I mean, that's what really a big part that came down to it for us. And you touched on a little bit too, like we want to tap into that community and that's why for our next Kickstarter coming up, we're, well, going back to Kickstarter. We have our own Shopify store. We have our own website. We could just launch this as a pre-order on our website, but we're not doing that. We want to go back to Kickstarter. We want to work with that community. And it's also a great press opportunity for us as well to get out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And once again, you know, for our next Kickstarter, we're going to be launching Luna Display for Windows. And while we have a pretty good feeling that the demand is there, it'll just be nice to really get a good feel for the size of that market before we start going into like full scale manufacturing. So, yeah, this, you know, the purpose of this podcast or this episode, my hopes for it is that, you know, I want to record 
the information that I wish I had three years ago while we were preparing for our first Kickstarter. I remember doing a lot of research at that time, trying to figure out how other successful Kickstarters prepare and launch and promote their campaigns. But I found that a lot of, or most companies aren't super transparent about it, or they just don't, they don't share that information. And so I'm hoping that, yeah, by us being transparent and sharing our story and, and what we did and what didn't work well, other people can find that helpful for their own campaigns. And as we're preparing for our next campaign too, it's just helpful to reflect back on like what didn't work well last time and what we're going to do a little bit differently this time around. Yeah, we're definitely documenting as we go as well. We're documenting the process going into our, our next Kickstarter. So what's something that you wish you had known going back to the first Kickstarter? Ooh, yeah, good question. For the last Kickstarter, I remember preparing so much for the launch, like so much anticipation leading up to that first moment that you press go. There was a ton of work to do. But then after it went live, it was kind of like, oh, what do we do now? Like, like I've been putting all of my effort into getting ready for this and I just hadn't even had a chance to think about what comes next. And part of that was because I was a one-person marketing team at the time. And so, I mean, I couldn't do it all. But this time around, I'm definitely doing a better job of dividing my time between preparing for going live, but also thinking about what happens during that campaign and during it, the time that it's live. So yeah, that's that's one of the main things that I'm doing differently this time around. What comes to mind for you, Matt? Well, no, that's a good point. It's not just getting to the launch. There's like, once you get to the launch, it's just part of the journey. Now you got to get through to the end and also have, have a great, yeah. great finish on the Kickstarter. That being said, though, I feel like the majority of the work is in preparing for the launch because most of the money that you raise will happen in the first, you know, 48 to 72 hours. If your campaign, I think there's a statistic that's like, if your campaign isn't halfway funded within those first few days, the likelihood that it will be funded during the entire campaign is very low because most of it happens like right right at the start when there's a lot of momentum and yeah, the most number of people are looking at your campaign. And so, so yeah, a majority of the work does come before that means, you know, filming your video and creating your page and the messaging and, and getting creative assets and everything. But yeah, you still need to save a little bit of time and effort to think about what's going to happen when your campaign goes live. Yeah. And the, Bulk of the sales usually happen in the beginning part of your campaign, usually in the first 48 hours to first week of your campaign, and in the last 48 hours, mm -hmm. last week of your campaign. And we were no different. Yeah. I remember we blew through our goal really quickly because we had such a great email list that we let them know about our Kickstarter campaign. And we had, was it a thirty or $40,000 goal? I can't remember offhand. I think 30,000 30, and we reached yeah. that within an hour. Within an hour, yeah. And then within the first 24 hours we were over 100,000 and then within the first 48 hours I remember we were over 200,000. And remember our Kickstarter 
itself ended at around 650,000. So that's an enormous amount of the campaign coming in 48 hours. Cause remember it went on for 60 days beyond mm-hmm. that, which that is not something I would do again, make it so long. And the next time around, we're going to make a 30 day campaign because again, most of it happens in the beginning and the end. And you're really dragging things out on yourself where you have to keep promoting and try to keep the momentum going for 60 days rather than 30 days, yeah. which, is, which is really exhausting. The 60 days was way too long. It was painstaking. I just, by the end of it, I was so ready for it to be over. And and yeah, this time around, we're going to do 30 days. And yeah, I, I don't think there's any difference between a 30-day or a 60-day campaign. 30 days is just going to be a little more of a sprint, but it's not like you're going to be raising any more money in that middle period because the middle period is such a plateau. I think we chose 60 days originally because, was it because you were going to have your baby in the middle of Yeah, I was going to mention that next. Yeah. (laughs) That was why we had it all planned out, but well, we thought we did. So I was expecting my first kid kind of midway in that 60 day window. And it was like, okay, maybe I can like squeeze in some paternity leave here while the campaign's going on, you know, trying to time things. But that turned out to be kind of a fool's errand. As the, the day we were launching the Kickstarter, my wife started to go into labor. And so it was the day, I believe the day after the Kickstarter launched, he was actually born. So that, that was some pretty, so some then pretty wild Matt times. was out of commission for the rest of the Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, which the team did an awesome job. Because then my, my son too, he was born early. So we were in the intensive care unit with them. So I was at the hospital and I was like checked out. I was like, all right, campaign's off to a good start. <laughs> Talk to you guys later. Yeah. And the team did an awesome job, you know, running it from from there. But it ended up being okay because we had Matt for, you know, everything that came in the preparation for the Kickstarter. And so you were around for the most important part. Sorry, my doorbell just rang. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So try not to have a baby during Kickstarter. Maybe that's the... <laughs> But yeah, no, it all worked out though. It all worked out. And then I was able to, yeah, to come back for the end there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, focusing on really talking about launching a Kickstarter, let's talk about the the process to to launching it. So what's some of the things that went into that, that as we were gearing up for that launch day, what were we working on ahead of time? Yeah. So of course there's, you know, filming your video and preparing your page, which is a majority of the work, but that could be a whole other episode in itself, like what goes into a video. And I really want to focus on, you know, gaining momentum and press support and support from your email list. That's what I want to focus on today because there's a lot of things that we did to get the word out with press and our existing community. So I want to start with a month before, I think it was about a month before we launched, we started sending beta units out to some of our closest press contacts. And we chose these contacts based on who we thought would give a thorough review of our product for when we launched. So We didn't want to choose the contacts that we're just going to maybe cover the launch, but not actually try the product. So we we went to the people who would really get their hands on the technology. It wasn't a ton of people. It was maybe 10 or so units that we sent out that, yeah, that was an interesting time because we had 
just a handful of maybe 50 or so units that we had manufactured already. And so we had to be a little bit choosy about who we wanted to give them out to. But something that we decided to do was purposefully leave off the plastic enclosure that Luna sits in. So it has this like red casing. And we specifically left that casing off on these beta units so that the product wouldn't feel finished. Because if we sent out this really polished looking product to the press, and then if there were any, you know, technical bugs or anything with it, then it would feel like it was complete and that there wasn't room to grow. But by leaving that casing off, you could actually see all of the hardware pieces they were exposed. And so it gave this sense of like, yeah, this is a work in progress. And we were hoping that we would wow them with the technology because the technology was really good at that point. But we just wanted to leave some room for improvement in case there there were any bugs. So that was one thing that we that we decided to do with those beta units. Yeah, that worked really really well to have that impression. You seeing that raw circuit board and being like, "Oh yeah, they they're not done yet, are they?" You know. So buying us more time. And we also sent along a 3D render. I think there was a, a mocked up photo we had too. Yeah. Like, this is what it's eventually going to look like. So like, here's what you have today. It's functional. It doesn't look pretty, but it's functional. And here's what it's eventually going to look like. Yep. Here's uh, what to expect in the future. Yeah. And we, I remember like we sent one unit to our contact at TechCrunch. And then the day our Kickstarter launched, he published his his review of the Luna Display beta and, and he had loved using it. And so it worked really well for, you know, he even took like product shots of that, the hardware unit, you know, like plugged into his Mac and he was using his iPad as a second display and, and he really liked it. And so I, I think we're going to do that again this time around. We'll recreate that. Yeah. And something that was really important there as well is we didn't have credibility coming into this as a maker of hardware products. Yes, we had made software products. We had shipped software. We'd showed that you know we were a company that existed and supported our customers, which definitely says something, but we still didn't have experience in, in hardware. So we really wanted to we really wanted to reassure people that we were going to be able to pull this off. And so that was a big part of sending those units out. There was another advantage that sending prototype units out early to press contacts really helped with, and that is we were very quickly able to get some press quotes. And so we put those quotes and we put them at the top of our page. So when they went, so when somebody on Kickstarter went to our page, one of the first things they would see is here's a quote from TechCrunch, from 9to5Mac, from you know Macworld. I don't remember what else we had in there that, hey, these guys are for real. Yeah, so this, it's like thing works. it's like you watch our Kickstarter video and then you scroll down and right at the top of the page is a bunch of validation from the top Mac sites saying that this is a great product. So at that point it's like you know, maybe you're sold. Maybe you don't even have to keep scrolling down the page. You're just ready to back our project and and so yeah, we'll definitely recreate that this second time around. The next thing we did to promote it was a week before we launched, we started sending out press emails to the rest of our contacts. So these would be the contacts that 
they weren't going to get a beta unit, but we thought that they would probably cover our campaign. And so we emailed them with our embargo info, you know, saying we're launching next week at this time and we really want you to cover our campaign. And then we actually, I think I reminded them all of those press contacts. I sent uh, an email out to them again the day before our campaign and then probably the day of the campaign too, if they hadn't covered our, our campaign already. So it's a lot of emails, but it's worth it. Like if you, you have to kind of set your expectations because maybe you'll email a hundred contacts and only 20 will respond or fewer than that. But it's, it's worth it to put that work in because the more places that your campaign is going to be popping up around, I mean, that's more traffic that you're getting to your campaign, but it's also validation for the news sites themselves. Like the, if they start seeing your campaign pop up everywhere, then they're going to want to cover your your story too. So send a lot of emails. That's definitely worth it. The other thing too about sending the prototypes, like if you can really send a prototype, that's great as well. Because you might be saying, well, I don't, I don't have any contacts like TechCrunch or, or 9to5Mac or The Verge or Mac Stories or Apple Insider. I'm looking at who covered us last time. And yeah, that's true. But if you're going to send them, if you're willing to send them some prototype hardware in the mail, generally people find that to be pretty cool. <laughs> and they're going to respond and they're going to be like, yeah, I'll check out, you know, if your product has real value and you're you're willing to send them a prototype, people respond to that. That's a lot different than the usual PR pitches that these folks are getting. Mm-hmm. So that, that you'll, you'll probably get a much higher success rate doing that, which I know it's hard to put prototypes together. I know it's hard to get your hands on it. But in this case, it's, it's really, really worth it to get some journalists excited. Yeah. yeah. And as far as finding press contacts, we don't have any secret magic for finding press contacts. Like you got to put in the work. So my my recommendation is go find the websites that you want to cover your Kickstarter campaign and look at all of the articles that they're posting and find the journalists there who you think would be the best fit to cover whatever your product is and and then di- start digging around for their email and usually they their emails are right there on the site you know they're they're published right next to their byline but if you can't find it there look on twitter you can try dming these people on twitter but you don't want to just email like random journalists who might not be interested in your product you want to find the the contact that is most likely to cover the type of product that you're launching. So if I'm going to go to TechCrunch with a hardware release for Mac, I want to find the person who covers hardware there or the person who covers Mac products. This time around for our next Kickstarter, we're we're kind of starting over in some ways because we're launching our product on Windows and all of our press contacts have always been for Mac so we've been working on building our press list and and starting to build relationships with those contacts. But you just have to put in the work and and dig around and and try to get emails for these people. And you know, don't send emails and assume that 
your email is gonna stick out in their inbox. Like you, you really yeah, need to not, craft. They get tons. Yeah, they get these people get pitched all day, every day. And one of the hardest parts about launching a campaign like this is coming up with subject lines. Honestly, that's like one of the hardest things is like, what subject line can you write in an email that's gonna stick out in their inbox and make them open that email? Put some time into that because that is everything that can make or break whether or not you you land on that site. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and having something unique and is really, and that's where I go back to to the prototype. You know, if you have something you you want to send them something physical in the in the subject line, hey, where can I send this prototype? That's definitely going to stick out compared to what they usually get. Mm-hmm. So going back to the timeline, all right. So a month out, we were sending the prototype units to a select group. Of journalists we got in touch with. A week out, you were sending to most of the rest of our press contacts that this campaign is coming to let them know about it. So now, two days before the launch now, we're, we're T minus two days. What was happening then? Yeah, then we decided that we need to get our existing customers excited about, about what we have coming. And we were at this point still very secretive. We hadn't said anything about launching a hardware product for second display capabilities. So our customers didn't know that this was coming, but we wanted to give them a little teaser. And so I think we sent an email campaign out to them that had like a picture of a cat with a space helmet on, which is the logo for Luna Display. But Prior to that, our you know Astropad logo was the, the dog with the space helmet. And so people saw the cat and they were like, oh my gosh, what is this cat doing? Like what's coming? And then I think I posted something on social of like a circuit board. So it was very obviously hardware. And I think yep. people got pretty excited about that. Like, wow, this is this is a software company that makes apps and now they're they're showing like hardware what's going on so i think people were pretty curious but this time around you know luna already exists and so our teaser campaign will look a little bit different i think we'll be probably more transparent with our list saying like hey we're launching luna display for windows in 2 days if you want to be one of the first to get in on this like get ready cuz we're launching at this time yeah, I forgot about the circuit board image that was sent out that was like shared in social and stuff. We were having people guess what it was. I, mm-hmm. I totally forgot about that. But that was that was pretty fun too and to, and to generate some excitement. Okay, so to, we're, we're generating some excitement. And now we're, let's fast forward a little bit to the day of the launch. Mm-hmm. And so we had a embargo set within journalists that, hey, they couldn't release their stories until X time mm-hmm. on the day of our launch. But one thing that was pretty interesting was we had the stories coming out after we had notified our email list of the project. And that was very, very deliberate because one thing with Kickstarters is it's all about momentum. It's all about seeing that you're you know, way over the funding goal and it's shooting up dramatically really generates that that fear of missing out like this and that this must be a great product and and I need to get it as well when you see something that's funded super quickly and so 
what we were going to do is use our list and send them to the Kickstarter campaign to fund it, to hit our goal. And we were hoping that we'd be able to hit our goal or at least get close to it. And the idea was, is that on our mailing list, these were customers that knew us. They knew and trusted us. And so they were going to be more likely to convert and to back our Kickstarter than someone random from a site they came across like TechCrunch. And so we were very, very specific in that order. And then it did work out for us. And as we mentioned earlier, we, we rocketed past within an hour, we had rocketed past our goal. And then soon after that, I don't remember how far after it was, but then the story started to pop up from the journalists we had been in touch with. And so then it was great. If they followed those links, they get to our Kickstarter and see it was already funded. Yeah. Yeah. And the other advantage of emailing our, our list first is that we wanted them to feel special and we wanted them to feel like they they were being offered our Kickstarter pricing first so that they could take advantage of, of those deals. Because with Kickstarter, you know, you you offer a certain number of units at your lowest price. And then once those fill up, then you raise the price and you offer a few more units at that price. And the purpose of that is it encourages people to get in early because they can get your product at a lower price. So we, by emailing our list first, we gave them early access to our campaign because, yeah, these these were our customers that we loved and they've been loyal to us, you know, for the past few years. And we want to give them the best deals before we start, you know, launching to the rest of the press and to people who hadn't been loyal to us. We're not disloyal, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know what you mean that it had been existing customers and yeah. we wanted to give them the best, the best deal. And we're doing the same thing again as well, where we have lists of existing customers and people interested in Windows, and they're going to be the first to know about our next Kickstarter, and they're going to be able to lock in the biggest discount because they're mm-hmm. going to be first first to know about it. So the first few hours was, I mean, that was everything. So we emailed our list. They got the momentum going. An hour or two after that, our press embargo lifted. So all of these websites published about our campaign. And then in the hours after that, I was furiously emailing everyone who hadn't covered our campaign yet to try to just get as much traffic as possible over to our Kickstarter. So that was like the first, I don't know, maybe four hours. That's what it looked like. And then your wife started going into labor and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, everything, (laughs) everything went sideways. No, seriously though, you know, what was going through your mind during those initial first hours of the Kickstarter? I mean, it was hard to concentrate because you're on the one hand, you're like, you can't stop watching the numbers going up. It was really exciting. We we kind of had, I remember like placing bets on like, oh, how much money we were going to end up raising. And I remember thinking like, wow, if we could raise $100,000, that would be so cool. And then within, I don't know, a Maybe one hour. two hours we had raised a hundred thousand dollars. And and I it was just like hard to wrap my mind around that. It was all very overwhelming. Hard to hard to get a grasp on it. And I'm glad that we have a little bit bigger of a marketing team this time around to to share the workload because yeah, sending all of those emails, 
while you're distracted, it's hard. So so we'll kind of disperse it. But then, you know, once the Kickstarter launched, it's like all of these things start happening that you didn't anticipate. Like you start getting questions in your Kickstarter inbox and people are emailing in asking about like, oh, can I buy it and use it for this? And it's, you are suddenly just totally rethinking, you know, your product and how people are going to use it. And for the first time, you're really hearing from customers about what they want and what their expectations are for this product. So in those first few days, you learn a ton about, you know, yeah, how people think of it and what you could do to better position your product and your messaging and everything. So it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. I remember being very nervous, <laughs> kept refreshing to see where we were at, you know, cause of course my, my biggest fear was that we weren't going to hit our funding goal of 30,000. Cause we had no idea going into this. Like we, we felt it was a really good product, but we just didn't know were other people willing to pay for it. We thought it was great, but did everybody else. So that was, you know, refreshing it like, Oh my God, are we going to hit our goal? Are we going to hit our goal? And, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully that we surpassed that quickly. And then it was like, um, how high are we going to go at this point? Yeah. So a few other things that we did once the Kickstarter was live. Well, in the day after, I think it was like the day after, once we had a really successful campaign going, I went to our press contacts. They're kind of like my stretch goal contacts where these are the people that normally would not be interested in covering our products. But if they see a product on Kickstarter really picking up, they want to they might be interested in in covering our story. So that's like fast company, you know, just like bigger publications like that. And so I emailed those people a day after we launched to inform them about our our successful campaign. And I'll do I'll do that again this time around because you don't want to email those people too early because if your campaign isn't funded when you email them, why would they write about a campaign that that isn't doing well? You know, they only want to write about the ones that are crazy successful. Yeah, so, they want to write about the outliers. Yeah. And so you need to show that you're an outlier with, yeah. your, with your funding goal. Yeah. So wait, wait until the right time to email those people. The other thing is Kickstarter notices as well when projects shoot up with, with crazy momentum. And then you're more likely to be featured by Kickstarter. I believe for us, we were slotted to be featured earlier on when we uploaded our video and they saw it and somebody reached out as they were approving our video. And then we were able to get featured by Kickstarter, I believe in the design and tech category, which helps a ton. I mean, you want to be featured by by Kickstarter if you can be. And a huge way to do that is to to show that you have great momentum. Yeah. And then another thing is once... Once our Kickstarter was live, we put up a banner on our company website directing people to our Kickstarter. And it was a bright green banner. It was like lime green on our website, so you couldn't miss it. And it had a little picture of Matt, and it was like a video. (laughs) You clicked on it, and it was a video of Matt introducing our Kickstarter. And that helped because it put a face to our company. And 
I mean, it's very personable when you're seeing Matt talking and asking you to back to back our Kickstarter. It adds a human element to it because at the end of the day, like you don't want people to think you're some big corporation asking you to back their Kickstarter. Like you want to show that you're just a small group of people behind this product and you really need each individual backer to help get your project off the ground. So I love that that banner had, you know, that little icon of your face and it just felt like Matt was speaking directly to you. Yeah. And we use that also in email to our customers as well. Like it was a, it was a special message put together for our existing customers. Like we, we crafted a landing page, we crafted a video, we crafted very carefully and for our existing customers to let them know that we, we wanted <laughs> <laughs> we wanted our customers to know that we built this product for them first. Like we launched Luna Display because our Astropad customers were requesting this feature. So we wanted them to feel like we built this product for them. And it's also going to be a helpful product for people beyond the Astropad community. But we truly did build it for our, our Astropad community first, and we wanted them to feel special, like they helped influence that that product because they did. Yeah, they, they absolutely did. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. spoke to them directly, asking them to help us get this, this project off the ground. Yeah. It came directly out of our customer support inbox, hearing what people were requesting. That was what brought Luna to life. And then figuring out how we could do that and figuring out we needed to do that with hardware. So we really had two different campaigns in a way. We had the campaign speaking to our existing customers. And then, but we also saw this as a tool that could be useful for others as well, for people that weren't using Astropad Studio, that weren't using it for art and design, that they could be a more general purpose tool. And so then that was more what the general Kickstarter campaign spoke mm -hmm. to. Yeah, so I think we should talk about a little more about what we're doing differently this time around from our last Kickstarter because you know we already touched on that we're doing a 30-day campaign instead of a 60-day campaign. But there are a few other things that come to mind that we're changing up this time around. And the the first one is that we are bringing in-house the things that the tasks that we're good at and outsourcing the ones that we aren't as good at. So for us, we are choosing to do all of the creative work for the Kickstarter ourselves on the marketing team. Our marketing team has, you know, a really great copywriter, a really great designer. And so instead of hiring a creative agency to help us make our Kickstarter page, we're doing all of that ourselves. And same with writing our video script. I ended up writing our video script for our last Kickstarter campaign and it worked well. I don't think we needed to hire an agency to do that for us. And so we're bringing all of those things in-house, same with building like a shot list. And we'll, we'll still hire a videographer to help us shoot our Kickstarter video, but we have some pretty strong creative talent on the marketing team. Something that we're choosing to outsource, though, is our paid ads. And we're running 
paid ads on social media in order to collect emails ahead of our Kickstarter. And we did we did outsource that for our last Kickstarter, but too, but we for our last Kickstarter, we didn't run ads ahead of our cam- campaign. And that's something that we're doing differently this time around is leading up to our Kickstarter, we're running these ads to to collect emails to generate interest in our campaign instead of just running ads once the campaign is live. So that's something that we're doing a little bit differently. And another one is we're looking into like referral programs and paid partnerships to go live during our campaign. And that's where I talked about at the beginning of this, like we had spent so much effort getting ready for those first few moments of launch that we kind of forgot about what happens when the campaign goes live. And so this time around, we're really thinking about like what happens in those middle days of the campaign. And in order to do that, we're looking into like website sponsorships and partnerships with companies that have big communities of Kickstarter, early adopter type people and, and referral programs. So that's another thing. Yeah. The other thing is we did some Facebook advertising last time. We worked with two different agencies at the time to do Facebook advertising during the Kickstarter campaign. And that worked okay. It didn't work great. We did make some some extra Kickstarter sales through that, but it didn't work nearly as well as, as we had hoped. And I think that that's a lesson that shouldn't be applied to other campaigns because I think it was pretty unique for us because we were a very specific product. Luna Display at the time required a Mac, an iPad, and somebody that was willing to back us on Kickstarter. So that's a pretty constrained pool of people. So if you're trying to reach those people via Facebook ads, you know, it's no wonder we had a hard time converting people and, and getting people excited about backing our back in our campaign. This time around, we are going to try it again. We're going to try doing some Facebook advertising during the campaign. But we think we have a better shot at it this time because we also support Windows now as well. So that is at least 50% of the market, we believe. And it makes the the pool of potential customers that much bigger for us. So we think that this time around, it really, really could help. And for a lot of other Kickstarter campaigns, they're, they're more general that don't require somebody to say, already own an iPad. It can work really, really well. And that's a lot of the biggest Kickstarter campaigns you see out there are backed by Facebook ads. It's a really common thing. Yeah. The last thing that I'll mention that we're doing differently this time around is we're not going to go to bloggers to help promote our campaign. And this is separate from like press contacts. So by bloggers, I mean like individuals with blogs that do like affiliate links and stuff like that. Before or for our last campaign, I had built up an entire list of tech bloggers or kind of like remote work lifestyle people who might be interested in Luna Display. And I emailed all of them when our campaign launched and I don't think any of them got back to me. And you know, I'm not really sure why, but if I had to guess, I think it's because you know, for those individuals who have a community on their blog, they don't want to promote a product that isn't publicly available and that they haven't tried and tested themselves. And 
these weren't people that we had enough we weren't able to send all of them beta units because we didn't have enough at that time. And so, yeah, they just weren't going to promote a product that they hadn't tried. And so this time around, we'll only we'll only reach out to those bloggers and influencers if we have beta units that we can send them and they seem like they would be willing to promote a Kickstarter to their community. I think I think with some of those bloggers, like they're sort of, I don't know, like they they're just hesitant about promoting kickstarters because if they promote something and and then the kickstarter doesn't end up getting fulfilled that doesn't really look great for them so there's some hesitancy there yeah i remember i think we had one out of that whole thing we had one person we had to pay a commission for cuz we were offering a a small commission as well for the kickstarter and it was basically, we basically got nothing through it. Mm-hmm. Not only did we not hear from many people like Savannah's saying, but even the ones we did hear from and were, I think maybe one or two actually that we had set up through there. And it was very, very minimal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, right now we are about, I don't know, a couple months out from launching our next campaign. And we're in the thick of it right now. We're working on building our our Kickstarter page and and writing our video script and all of that. So it's it's busy, but it's it's nice to have one of these crowdfunding campaigns under our belt so we can yeah, learn or take from what we learned the last time around and yeah, and apply it to this one and it's fun. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And for us, we're not working with an agency this time around to launch the Kickstarter. And that's really because this is our second time around. We learned the ropes the first time around. So for somebody else that's launching their their first Kickstarter and they do want to work, you know, I wouldn't say that it's absolutely do not work with an agency that can help with launching the Kickstarter. It, it could be a good option. It could help learn how to how to launch your first Kickstarter, how to structure it, how to do the video, how to put the, you know, the backer tiers and, and et cetera. But for us, we've been through this once. So now we're going to, we're going to go at a second time here. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Anything else that you would have done differently from the first campaign? Anything else you can think of? Hmm. Ooh, I think we hit on most of it. I do. I do want to give a book recommendation for specifically for learning the ropes of press outreach. I think it's called I'm going to Burned Out Blogger's Guide to PR. Yeah, that's the book. That book taught me how to write press pitch emails, how to write subject lines, how to build relationships with these press contacts. So the Burned Out Blogger's Guide to PR Highly recommend that as you're preparing for your Kickstarter launch or for any launch for that matter. It doesn't have to be just Kickstarter. We use that sort of formula for every product launch or press event that we do. And we've never hired a PR campaign or a PR. We've never hired a PR agency to help us with press. We've always done it ourselves and it seems to work pretty well. Yeah. Best book we found on pitching the tech press. It's great. It's great. And there's one final part we didn't talk about that we'll leave for another episode, but you also want to end your Kickstarter with a bang. And we had a bit of a secret twist 
we unveiled at the end of our Kickstarter to build some excitement and get a whole new round of press. But we'll talk about that on a future episode. Yes. Ooh, that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Savannah. Yeah. Thank you. This was fun. 